So this Thanksgiving, uh, I want you to know that it's not about what's on the table, but who's at the table that really matters. And this Christmas, it's not about what you have, it's about who you have that really matters. Uh, that's the truth, uh, and I thought it was such a, a timely uh, word that emerges from Paul's words as we come to the end of Second Timothy. Uh, there's two more messages. There's this Sunday and there's next Sunday. I've got about three verses out of this last section that I want to save uh, for next Sunday. But, but Paul comes to this place at the end of his letter, right into Timothy as, as Paul is about to face death. And, and the truth that emerges to me so loudly of what Paul is saying is when it gets to the end, what matters is the people around you. In the end, what matters is the people around you. And we come to this last section, which if you look at it, you say it's kind of odd. But in this last section, Paul is going to name 17 different people. And these were people that were a part of uh, Paul's missionary teams that traveled with him. These were people that were a part of churches, and in this case, specifically the church at Ephesus, but also the church at Rome. 17 different people. That doesn't even account for who the letter, the remarks are actually directed to, which is Timothy, which would make 18. 18 different people as Paul closes out his letter. And I want you to get this, that, that Paul is writing this last letter. There's at some point in a missionary journey after he's been released from his first Roman imprisonment that something happens. We're going to allude to it at least. This, I think there's an allusion to it this morning in what we look at. And Paul is rearrested and they carry him to Rome. And there are people in his circle that have traveled with him. And some of them make it all the way to Rome, but we're going to see some other things here in just a minute of what he says. And um, I just get this sense that, that Paul gets to Rome and he writes a letter to Timothy because I think Paul has assigned Timothy um, the church at Ephesus. And Paul is still traveling around. He gets arrested and word would have gotten back to Timothy. But I think when Paul got to, to, to the Roman prison that he writes 2 Timothy. It's going to be his last letter. And we have to believe he, he dies I don't know, days, weeks after this is beheaded. <laughs> and so uh, you just get this sense that he just begins to speak to the young man what we have said all of these weeks about the essentials. It's like, son, this is what it's all about. And regardless of what that was, and you can look at these different admonitions that Paul gives to Timothy, just like 1.6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Uh, 113, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard uh, from me. 2-1, be strong in the grace that is in, in Christ Jesus. Um, 
verse 15, be 215, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman, a workman. I'm sorry. I'm going back to my old King James. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. He comes to chapter 4, verse 1, and he starts talking about his ministry, and he comes to 4, 2, and he says, Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And what I get the sense is Paul is just all business. It's like, man, this is my last chance to pour my life into this young man and everything I got. I'm just going to keep exhorting him, exhorting him, exhorting him. And finally, as, as Byron described last Sunday, the climax of the whole letter, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And there's just this mountaintop that you reach in chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. In verse 9, we come to the end. And I want you to, I think there's a dramatic shift in tone, is what I was trying to relate vocally this morning. I hope you get that. And it begins to wind down. And I want to read it, and then I want to, I want to tell one personal story, and then I want, to, I want us to look at these 17, 18 people just briefly this morning. Get the shift. 4-9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring with him, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also be aware of him, beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. I want to save 16, 17, and 18 for next Sunday. Verse 19. Greet Prisca, which is a shortened form of Priscilla, and Aquila, who would have been at Ephesus, and the household of Onesiphorus which he spoke of earlier also at Ephesus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I left in Miletus 6. He doubles down from verse 9 in verse 21, and he says, Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus, these would have been people from the church of Rome. Eubulus greets you, probably the pastor, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia and all the brethren. In the end, what matters is the people around you. Uh, that is what Paul wanted the young man to hear. And there's something very significant I want to say at the very end about that. But in the end, what matters is the people around you. Uh, we as a family, I'm, I'm hoping I can tell this story quickly this morning. 
we as a family have lived this in 2020 with the passing of my parents. We started the year, uh, my parents lived by my sister in a, in a care facility um, in, outside of Little Rock. And my dad was in an um, assisted living room. My mother was in the memory care unit. And every day, my dad, this is what my dad lived for, go down to see my mother. He had a routine. He took her a banana every morning. I don't know why, okay? But there was a routine there. Uh, obviously, my mother has Alzheimer's, but uh, I know she knows my dad, and he comes twice a day. Uh, when the coronavirus shutdown happened, uh, it triggered something in my dad because my dad was good mentally, and he was pretty good physically, and he would get out. Sometimes people from the church would come and pick him up. Sometimes my mother would come and they would go do lunch. But my father could kind of roam and he had freedom. He could get out. But when the shutdown happened, something happened to my dad. And it got to him first mentally. What I'm going to describe to you was in three months, my father, who was mentally good and pretty good physically, he died. And it's the point we're talking about today because all of a sudden, his connection with people was was taken from him. First got to him mentally, and then it's, he started having physical problems. And the physical problems led, led to more kind of mental, as, his approach on life. And three weeks before he died, my father said to all three of us kids, he said, I'm done. He'd ceased to go see my mother. He said, I'm just, he said, I'm ready to go. Because what had happened, the people around him had been taken from him. And everyone in his area just stayed in their rooms my dad, he was done three weeks later. End of June, my dad dies. Now, um, I understand my mother has Alzheimer's, had Alzheimer's. She's watching by the live stream today, though. Sort of joking. <laughs> I, be I better be on my toes today. Uh, uh, we had to believe and I said it from day one. Mother's going to know that daddy doesn't come by anymore. And my mother's Alzheimer's and she's, it's, been, it's been ongoing. And she's had this slow decline. But when my father died, she went down. 16 weeks later to the day, uh, my mother's, she's gone. After all these years of just this slow decline. What was it? No, I know she knew that my daddy, that man, did not come by to see her anymore. And she began to go down. She got so bad that really she didn't qualify for the unit that she was in. And so the week before she died, the Sunday before she died, uh, that Wednesday, Thursday, we moved her to a private care home so that we could see her. We could see her, be with her. And so um, Amy and I came back or I came back at that point, it was only me that had gone. I came back to Huntington, and my sister just says Friday and Saturday, hey, mother's going down quickly. I said, okay. This is, I don't know how many weeks ago. This was last month, but uh, we decided on that Saturday, even though mother was going down, what would mother want? Mother would want her Baptist preacher son to preach Sunday morning. <laughs> That's what we decided, and I did that Sunday morning with the understanding that when we get home, we'll call and see and when we called that Sunday after church, my sister says, you need to come. 
So Amy and I jump in the car. And uh, my brother came from Dallas. My brother got there to the private care home about 4 o'clock. I got, Amy and I got there at 5.30. And when I got to the door, my sister's there to greet me. And she said, you, you come because she's passing. She's passing. Come. And she was going down. She had had her eyes closed. But this is what I want you to know. I want public record of this. When her baby son came to the room, she, my mother opened her eyes. Amen. Do you know what my mother was waiting for that day? Her favorite. <laughs> sort of joke about it. My brother and sister joke about it. I'm not joking about it. My mother is going down. Her breathing is very shallow. Her eyes have been closed. But when all three of her kids and all three of their spouses are there at 5.30 that afternoon, my mother opens her eyes. But she's passing. She's passing. And we sat there. Uh, and we talked to my mother. Just, mother, you've done good. It's time. Jesus is waiting on you. Daddy's waiting on you. Mother, you've done so well. It's all right. You can go. We're all here. Uh, we probably prayed. We may have sang. Six o'clock, my mother closes her eyes. Six o two, she draws her final breath. Uh, my mother's mind had been bad for years. We have to believe she knew we were there. And when everyone was there, she was ready to go. Because you see, in the end, what matters is the people that are around you. And this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, particularly in the midst of 2020 and all that we're going through, I wanted to remind you of that. It's about people. And I want to just, just briefly take these words of Paul and uh, I want us to see that one truth because when Paul came to the end, he talked about those people that were around him or were not around him. Actually, these are very sad scriptures to me. Um, and I think it's such a timely word today. I want to talk about my word, my phrase today is living in connection. And what I mean is connection with people. When you get down to just the basics of life, what is most important? It's about connection with people. And, and it starts with the people that are closest to us. But then as Christians, it radiates out from that. That's why in verse 9, when Paul has given all of his pep talk, J. Mike, I mean, this is just like coach just going, here we go, we're going to do it, here we go. Here. Yeah, come on, you can do it, you can do it. He just comes to verse 9, and he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. This word diligent is the same word that he, not only, he has used in 2.15 when he says, be diligent to present, present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. It will be the same word even though it's translated different. In verse 21, 21 says, do your utmost to come before winter, but it's the same word, be diligent. I need you to make every effort to get here. And what I want you to see this morning is Paul had given Timothy responsibilities in Ephesus. I want to talk about this. Timothy had re responsibilities for a lot of people. But Paul said when it got down to the end, no, I, I want you to be here. 
I want you to be with me. Uh, we talk about Demas. Actually, Demas is mentioned in Colossians and Ephesians. I'm sorry, Colossians and Philemon as being with Paul in his first imprisonment. But here, he says, be diligent to come to me quickly because Demas has forsaken me. Deserted, abandoned. Notice Paul does not say he hasn't abandoned Christ. He has deserted me. He was here. He was to be with me. And all he does, and we don't know the backstory to this, but it says, having loved this present world, there was something that drew him away from Paul and away from his love for Christ, his love for the kingdom and God's work. And for Paul, no, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, having departed for Thessalonica. I don't know what is in Thessalonica for Demas. I have a hunch it's his hometown. And when things got bad and it got to the end for Paul, Demas just said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I don't know, maybe he sees the handwriting on the wall. Maybe he's going to be implicated. Maybe they're not only going to kill Paul, but Demas says, I have every reason to believe they're going to, they're going to round up the rest of us. I'm gone. The, the second and third people he mentions is Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know that those are regions, and so I don't think it's, it may be where they were from. It may be that they had ministry responsibilities. Paul, we don't know how long this is to last. I really got, I got some things I need to take care of. And maybe they were for God. But the picture that, that Paul begins to, to paint is that everyone that had been in that circle, that traveled with him, maybe was arrested with him, and had gone, everybody begins to scatter. For various reasons. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. And the sense is, of all of these people, the only one who is left is Luke, who was a doctor. Maybe he was there to meet Paul's medical needs. And then he makes this statement to Timothy. He says, get Mark, bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry. This is the Mark that is known also as John, and so we know him as John Mark. If you read the backstory to John Mark, and he's a younger man like Timothy. Uh, Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas take him on a missionary journey with them, but somewhere along the way, he becomes homesick and he bolts and he leaves. Oh, my, there's a whole story. All this drama. Ah, drama, drama, drama. Acts 15, Barnabas, who is a cousin, says, Hey, I want to take him back on the next journey. And Paul says, Absolutely not. He left us. I don't have any, I don't have any use for him. I don't know, about 10 years. Oh, longer than that. 15 years pass. And you come to kind of what we like to think of. I mean, Demas is kind of a negative story. But, but John Mark, it's a story of redemption and reconciliation. The young man has come around. He has redeemed himself. And Paul, sort of as I picture on his deathbed, I, I, I don't think Timothy and John Mark ever made it. 
But what did John Mark have to hang on to? (laughs) The old man said, I'm useful. That was Paul's way of saying, we've been reconciled. Everything's okay. The past is the past. It's all good. We've we've made amends, which is a whole other subject to Thanksgiving and Christmas that we could talk about, but the pastor doesn't. But if that word sinks into your heart, just take it, that it needs to be a season of redemption and reconciliation. He's useful to me. He once was useless. Now he is useful. Verse 12, Tychicus. I don't even know what number of the 17 we're on now. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. The two other times that Tychicus is mentioned is in Colossians and Ephesians in Paul's writings, and he is the bearer of the letter. This was the brother said, oh, you got a letter. It's, it's me. I'm like the letter bearer. This is what I do for the kingdom. I'm going to travel with the letter. I'm going to get it to its destination, Paul. And you have to believe the same is true for 2 Timothy. He's a part of that, that traveling crew that's, that's come with Paul as he's been arrested. And Tychicus, when he writes the letter, we, we have to believe that Ty- Timothy is in, is in Ephesus. And uh, Tychicus, you the man. You, David Shaw, he's the postal worker. I guess they're in children's church. Anyhow, I tell you, Daddy, I said that. I know your daddy doesn't carry mail anymore. But anyhow, he used to, I guess. You know, you, you're, you're the postal guy. Get it to its destination. But you get the sense that everybody's got responsibilities. They've all got duties. They're all, they're all, they're scattering. Verse 13, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. That's our next guy. At Troas, when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. I, I don't know this. But I have to believe that the reason that Paul had left his personal effects in Troas with Carpus is because Paul was staying with Carpus the day the Romans arrested him. He didn't have time to gather up his stuff. He's sending the letter back. It's, and I, I think T- Timothy would have known all that story. There's no reason to detail it here. He's just saying, Timothy, when you make your journey here, man, stop by Carpus's house. In Troas, you know, they busted me in the middle of the night. I, I didn't know it was coming. I didn't get my personal things together. But I, I, need, I need my winter coat and I need my writings or the scriptures. I don't know what the writings were. I don't know if it's Paul's writings, if it's sacred writings. I don't know what it is. But there's some things of value. As you come, I want you to bring this. And I believe it triggers another thought because he begins in verse 14 to talk about Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander is a rather common name, so it's like this is Alexander the coppersmith. Did me much harm. I believe when he thinks Troas and he thinks of his arrest, I think, I think he thinks of the guy who turned him in. Alexander the coppersmith is the snitch. I don't know what it looked like. I think he's the guy that turned him over to the Romans. And I think when he talks about his personal effects at Carpus's house in, in Troas, he just says, man, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also be, must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. But you get the sense 
some for various reasons, but everyone that was a part of the team has left. He begins to send greetings in verse 19 to those who are um, in Ephesus, where the letter is being sent, where Timothy is at, where Timothy is taking care of business. Who's there? Well, the couple, the man and the wife that we meet in the book of Acts, uh, maybe Acts 18, uh, Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. What are they doing? They're workers. They're working in Ephesus. That's what they do. The household of Onesiphorus, which earlier in chapter 1, there's this guy Onesiphorus, and he came to Rome, and he refreshed me. He is from Ephesus. And Paul's just saying, hey, when this letter gets to you, when Tychicus gets it here, just greet all these people for me because they're what he describes as Aquila and Priscilla uh, most of the time as fellow workers. So many of these people are described as fellow workers. They're in, midst, they're in the midst of, of the work that we're doing in ministry, and Paul has been traveling around, but all of a sudden it gets to the end, and only Luke is with him. Everybody is scattered. Timothy's got responsibilities. Priscilla and Aquila have responsibilities. Onesiphorus has responsibilities. He talks about the people that he lost on the journey to Rome. Erastus stayed in Corinth. We don't know the backstory of that, but Erastus, that would have been on the route going to Rome, Erastus stays in Corinth. Trophimus, on the journey, I left him Melita sick. The brother fell sick. He couldn't travel with us. He stayed there. So this is a letter when Paul gets back when finally gets to Rome and he, you know, he sees the handwriting on the wall, he writes this letter back and he's sending greeting and he's giving Timothy all these details of this crew of people, this team of people around Paul, but everyone's scattered. He doubles down in verse 21. It says the same as be diligent, but in our English, do your utmost to come before winter. When winter came, travel would have been very difficult. But I, I don't think it's really that. It's that word quickly from verse 9. And it's close. You need to get here. It, you realize it would have taken weeks and weeks and weeks. I hate to tell you all this. I don't think Timothy, I don't think John Mark made it. And then he, he I, want, I want to kind of conclude with this, but he, he sends greetings from the church at Rome. There's something kind of stark in here to me. He says, Eubulus, who probably was the pastor, greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The church of Rome is here. Now, really what Paul says is they are there. Nobody's here with me. Why is that? They all had responsibilities in life. All these people that he mentions had family concerns, ministry concerns, many things of, of high aspiration, doing their thing that God has called them to do. But Paul, when he comes to the end, what is it that matters? It's the people. It's just about people. It's not even the responsibilities we've been given by life. The thing that strikes, and I want to end with this, is that everybody was mentioned was living out life's responsibilities. They all had things going on. And so do we. 
But there comes a point where relationships trump responsibilities. Do you hear me? When it gets to the end, Paul just wanted to talk about the people. And he wanted Timothy to come. He tells him twice. <laughs> I think that, yeah. No, you really mean this, don't you? You mean quickly, don't you? Yeah, now. You mean now. The message that Paul, the essential that Paul was communicating to Timothy was that in the end, what matters are the people around you. And here it is. Here's the, here, here's the whole thing. As I thought about this this week, Paul understands that as an old man facing death. Who needed to hear that? Timothy, a younger man running full throttle in life's responsibilities. Here's the key. Is to live out that truth now. Not only at the end. That's what Paul's saying. Timothy, yes, at my end, what really, the only thing that really matters are the people around you. The key to life is when you're not at the end, but th that you're in the midst of life. No, live that out with the end in mind. That in the end, what matters are the people around you. The key to life, and I, I, I was going to, I was going to conjecture this, but I think most of the people in the 17, for sure Timothy the 18th, they were all people in the prime of life, had responsibilities. Many of them, most of them were God-given responsibilities. But Paul said to Timothy, I need you to drop what you're doing. I need you to get here quickly before winter because I want you to be with me because that's really what matters. I want to close. Why don't you stand? And I want to just say what I said at the very beginning. At Thanksgiving, it's not what's on the table. It's who is at the table that really matters. At Christmas, it's not what you have. It is who you have that really matters. Amen? Amen. Father, today we thank you for uh, your word that speaks to us. And Father, I pray that we could live now with an intentional focus on people, on connection with people, starting with those that are closest to us. And then Father, as you pour your life into us, may that connection radiate, radiate out to those around us. And Father, we love you. And we thank you for our time today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.